Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. So we're not talking about a long trip. Now, for those of you that have been with us to Israel, you you know that the ancient city of Jerusalem was kind of shaped like this. This would be Temple Mount, and then it kind of went like this. All right, this area here would be the city of David. This would be Temple Mount. So this is not a long journey to bring the ark from the city of David up to Temple Mount. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came. And the Levites took up the ark. So the lesson was remembered. Now, what lesson? Remember Uzi died because he reached out and touched the ark? David had to learn the lesson. The lesson was passed on to the next generation. So the lesson was remembered. And, and this is a great truth. All right, this is a great truth. Never require next gen to learn same lessons. Never require the next generation to learn the same lessons. Pass on the wisdom. Let the next generation stand on our shoulders and do far more than we've ever done. And they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. And the Levitical peace priests brought them up. Now notice the tent of meeting. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place. In the inner sanctuary, this would be the holy of holies. In the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the end of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. Now, Remember, if this is the Holy of Holies, then you have the holy place, and then you have the entrance, and you have the, the columns here, and then you have the brazen altar, and you have the sacrifices taking place here, and you have the, uh, the pool, or the, the, the basin of water here. But this, this would be the altar. So these poles actually came out through the veil. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. Verse 9, and the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. And there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put in at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when he came out of Egypt. Now notice, there was nothing so here's my question. Where is Aaron's rod? And where is the pot of manna? Where are these two things? Because it said there's nothing there except the two tablets. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their division, 
And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jehuthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with a hundred and twenty priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise to the Lord. Now, music. Music in the temple was for God. You, you didn't go in there and sing, you know, Frank Sinatra in God's temple. For he is good. And th this is their song. <laughs> this is the song. For he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. We sing that same song today. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I like that. The priest could not stand to minister. I would love a service like that. But we couldn't do anything. But the glory of God comes down so strong, we can do nothing except be in the presence. Those are special times. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, with whom his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since the day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. And I chose no man as prince over my people Israel. Now notice, here's prince again, not king. God doesn't choose a king. God chooses a prince. God is king. Always remember this. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it is in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Now here's a great truth, brothers and sisters. There are things that we want to do for God, and God says, I receive it as if it was done, because it was in your heart. This is, this is great leadership truth, okay, in our hearts. See, just because something is in our heart doesn't mean it's God's will for us to do it. Nevertheless, it is not you who shall build the house, but your son, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made, for I have risen in the place of David my father to sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have set the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and had it set in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Now I want you to notice, knelt on his knees, spread out his hands. A leader in prayer. He's not ashamed to get on his knees before God. And he said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. 
keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand you have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Here's conditional promises again. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant David prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swear his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his head. Now, this is how God judges. You want to know how God judges? He brings your own conduct on your head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. For the righteous actions you do, God gives you blessings. For the sin that you do, he brings your own conduct on your head. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and they turn again and acknowledge your name, and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave them and to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against you. If they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon the land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. Wow. For you, you only know the hearts of the children of all mankind, that they may fear you and walk in all your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner, who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name, <laughs> this is called Israel Tour, and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house, when we go to the Western Wall to pray, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which that foreigner calls to you. 
in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this city that you have chosen and the house I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Does this sound like John? If we say we have no sin, the truth of God is not in us, that we make God out to be a liar. And you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart to the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity in which they were carried captive and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O Lord my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for your servant David. <laughs> David's already dead, remember? Remember your steadfast love. Remember how you love my daddy. That's what he's saying, because he knows his daddy's still there with God. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the prayer of Solomon. Be a great, great study to do one day. The prayer of Solomon. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is Paul's question. Because this is what people were accusing him of teaching. He was teaching grace, so they said, okay, you teach grace and tell people that, you know, the more we sin, the more grace comes to our lives, so we should do more and more sin. We should murder people and commit adultery, and, you know, we should do all of this sin. He said, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Now, brothers and sisters, and then he says, how can we who died to sin, still live in it. Now, brothers and sisters, straight talk. You know, there are people that teach grace, but they don't teach grace like I teach grace, and they don't teach grace like any conservative scholar teaches grace. They teach grace, and I don't like to say the word extreme grace because, you know what, every attribute of God is extreme. I mean, grace is extreme. But they teach grace with the wrong application, and they say it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter that you continue to live in sin because we're saved by grace. He said, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? I said, by no means. All right. If you believe in salvation by grace, then you stop the sin. By faith, like we've been reading earlier. How then, we who died, to, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He said, now listen, that, that's, that's, it, that, that's not logical. Now, I was talking with a guy one time who believed that it doesn't matter how you live because of grace. And I quoted him these two verses. He said, that's exactly right. He said, the Bible says, if we've died to sin, how can we still live in it? He said, it's impossible for me to sin. I said, now, excuse me, wait a minute. You say that you never commit to sin. He said, no. He said, how can we die to sin? If we still live in it, he said, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He said, I've died to sin, so I can't live in it anymore. He said, I can't commit sin. It's impossible for me to sin. I said, so you mean you never commit any sin? He said, no, it's impossible for me to sin. And I looked at the guy and I said, now, you, you've got an education that you need to get here because it is not impossible for you to sin. If I ask your wife, she can tell me all of your sins. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? All right, so this is water baptism. We were buried with him by baptism into death. This is why we do complete immersion because of the symbolism of it. We were buried into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, the whole symbolism of water baptism is, if this is the water, we are buried with him in water baptism, and then we come out of the water in resurrection, new life. This is why we practice immersion. It is not about sprinkling. It symbolizes the death and resurrection of Jesus. It symbolizes our death to the old life and our newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right, so I am now free from the power of sin. I'm free from the power of sin. That's sin no longer controls us. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay? Sin no longer dominates us. Now, I can yield to sin, but sin cannot control me anymore. Okay? So we can yield, but not controlled. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Jesus died one time. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now here is the mental attitude of a believer. This is something we consider. We think about this. I've died to sin. Sin can't control me anymore. I don't have to smoke. I don't have to drink. I don't have to look at pornography. I don't have to steal. It doesn't control me anymore. I've died to sin. We have to sit down and think about this. Now, again, I don't want to teach my way through this because it's powerful. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. So this is our choice. Remember, I said we can yield but not be controlled. So he said, don't yield. Don't let sin reign in your body to make you obey, to make you obey their passions. He said, you have a choice. So when people say, I have no choice, you always have a choice. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is your choice. Do I present myself to God or do I present myself <clears throat> to K-Wave? Do I present myself to God or do I present myself to alcohol? Do I present myself to God or do I present myself to pornography? For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Sin cannot rule over you anymore. The grace of God has set you free. All right, now, one more passage today. A little bit of wisdom as we close out. Now, listen to King Solomon here. He said, hear my son a father's instruction. He's speaking, this is a father-son talk. Father-son talk. And be attentive that you may gain insight. For I will give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. He said, when I was a son with my father. So this is now Solomon and KD. That's King David. Tender. This is when he was young. Very young. The only one in the sight of my mother. So Bathsheba raised Solomon alone. He wasn't raised with all the other king's sons. He was raised by Bathsheba, the only one in the sight of my mother. Now, if you want to wonder why Solomon turned out better than the other sons of David, I'll teach you later on when we get into the kings, 
But David had a man who was in charge of raising his sons. When it came to Solomon, Bathsheba and King David raised their son together. So Solomon says, let, let me tell you what my father taught me. He said, let me pass on to you the wisdom. And a lot of the Proverbs are the wisdom of King David that was passed on to Solomon. He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. He said, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her wisdom. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. Now, several things I want you to notice there. Never forsake the wisdom that your father taught you. Don't turn away from the wisdom of the words of your father. You know, I, you'll often hear me quote my father and quote my grandfather. Because for many years of my life, I never had a dad in my life. And when I was 14 and I was sent to live with my dad, you know, I, I thought about it. And, you know, I went through 10th, 11th, and 12th grade with my dad. And then I skipped my first year of college. I started as a sophomore. So I had one year of college and three years of high school. So four years with my dad. But my dad really took time with me. I mean, we, we built a relationship working on motorcycle engines, uh, restoring old British sports cars, Austin Healey 3000s, bug eye sprites and things. But we spent a lot of time together. And my dad always had time for me. We'd go out in the backyard and throw a football around, though he, my dad wasn't much on sports. But dad always had time. And one of the things he always did Every morning at breakfast. Now, we rarely ever ate dinner together as a family because I was working. And, you know, dinner wasn't a big deal in our family. But breakfast, no, breakfast was a big deal. At 5.30, you were expected at the breakfast table. It didn't matter what time you got in from work the night before. And mama served the same thing. You had one boiled egg. You had two strips of bacon. You had a, a piece of toast that she cooked in a very special way. And you had a cup of coffee. That was breakfast every morning. And then dad would sit there and begin to what we used to call philosophize. And dad would talk for an hour. But you know what? I've never forgot his lessons. When you hear me talk about don't have a nightlife, learn that from my dad. Now, brothers and sisters, you're going to have to learn that God gave you parents, not just to feed you, <laughs> not just to put a roof over your head. God gave you parents to teach you. Parents? It's not the job of the church to train your children. No, yes, we do a part. It's your job. It's not the job of the school to train your kids. It's your job. So make sure that you take time. And young people, listen to mom and dad. Most of the smart things that you see coming out in the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote at the beginning of his kingship. Ecclesiastes, he wrote at the end. But most of the stuff that you see here Written out in Proverbs, these are things he learned from his father. And, you know, when you study it deeply, you begin to see a lot of King David coming out of here. If Jesus tarries in the future, may people see a lot of your mom and dad coming out of you too. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.